You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. copy of God's Word, please turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. We're going to read verses 5 through 10, and then we'll open in prayer. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 5. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This too is vanity, futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Let's pray together. Our merciful God, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word. Help us to learn the wisdom that is here in this passage, to think rightly and appropriately about the issues that Solomon addresses here, and make us attentive to your word and sanctify us by its truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Walking in the path of wisdom is not something that is easy. It doesn't come natural to us. Uh, It is very difficult. One of the reasons that it is difficult is because we are not born wise. We're actually born the opposite. We are born foolish. We're all born fools. Scripture says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. That's Proverbs 22, verse 15. Uh, We're born foolish, and we walk in foolishness, and a child that is left to his own ways without any discipline will end up being a disgrace to his mother and a dishonor to his father and will continue in that path wherein he is raised, and so you have, to, you, have to drive, you have to drive the foolishness from the heart of a child through discipline. And I can see some parents are giving me the, yeah, park it there, preach it, brother. Right there, stay on that one for a while. And it's true that if you apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning, magically, children learn a little bit of wisdom. And for those of us who are adults and have learned wisdom through discipline, still the acquiring of wisdom takes time. And it's not like we graduate and we get to be at the age of 18 and having been raised in a godly home and having been disciplined well that we are then wise and walk in the paths of righteousness. Still, wisdom requires diligence. That is why in the passage that we read in Proverbs chapter 2 that Solomon says we are to pursue it. We are to mind for it. We are to search for it. We are to long for it, to cry out for discernment and seek after understanding. It's not like we just stumble through life and wisdom falls in our lap and we learn to be wise. Life teaches us a few lessons, but if you want to be wise in in God's way of wisdom, understanding God's path of wisdom, you have to mind for that. You have to search for it. You have to spend your life diligently pursuing it. And the promise in Scripture is that wisdom will provide its rewards. 
Uh, wisdom is not perfect in every way. We've seen this in Ecclesiastes, but it is a better than another way. Wisdom is taking one path, which is an advantage from a different path. It is taking and pursuing one course of action, which is better than, it holds out promise for better than things than the other path that we could choose, which is f foolishness. And so Solomon in Ecclesiastes commends to us the path of wisdom and encourages us to walk in wisdom. And even though Solomon was in some ways uh, worldly-wise cynical of wisdom, uh, and you see that in Ecclesiastes, that it's, it's not when he commends wisdom, it's not always a perfect commendation as if he has nothing ill to say about wisdom. But even in his world-wearied state of cynicism that we read in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is able to commend wisdom as the best path. In this vain world, in this world of futility, the land under the sun, in this sin-cursed, fallen creation in which we live, wisdom is the best path. And we're seeing this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 where we have this collection of Proverbs. And in chapter 7, Solomon is answering the question that he raised at the end of chapter 6, verse 12, who can tell what is good for a man during the few years of his futile life? Who knows what is good? Chapter 7 presents to us what is good. And Solomon is giving us this collection of Proverbs, this, this series of wisdom, and it is in the form of better than Proverbs. That this is better than that, and this is better than that. So that eight times in these, ten verse, in these 14 verses, Solomon gives to us something, he uses the term better than, in contrasting two opposite and sometimes two contrasting uh, options. And then twice he uses the term advantage. This one thing has an advantage over the other thing, and that's just another way of him contrasting these two paths. So we have laid before us the path that is characterized by the wise, in which the wise walk in the wisdom that God gives, and then there is the path in which a fool walks. And these two things are contrasted in chapter 7. There are a bunch of different subjects addressed in these 14 verses in chapter 7. There's, in fact, there's no one theme that kind of weaves its way through all of these other than the contrast, the better than contrast, and other than the repeated reference to fools and to wise men, to foolishness and to wisdom, those things are contrasted all the way throughout. But there's a, a variety of subjects that are addressed here. In fact, you'll notice that verses 5 and 6 deal with how to receive a rebuke. That receiving a rebuke from a wise man is better than listening to the song of fools. Chapter 7 speaks of oppression and bribes and things that corrupt the heart. Sorry, not chapter 7, verse 7. Verse 8, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. And he's talking there about patience of spirit, better than haughtiness of spirit. In verse 9, he talks about anger, which resides in the bosom of fools. And then in verse 10, our view of the past, and even that includes our view of the present and the future. So there's all kinds of different subjects in these verses. We're looking at verses 5 through verse 10, and we're going to get through all of these this morning. But with so many different topics that Solomon addresses, it's difficult to find an outline that would kind of fit the passage. In fact, all through the week, I struggled with how do, I, how do we kind of outline this? And there was no way that I could come up with it didn't feel like I was imposing something on the text. Because Solomon, in, in one fashion, is kind of like a, a shotgun shell of a shotgun blast of wisdom. All these different subjects that are coming at us. Pride and patience and anger and our view of the past and the future and, and haughtiness of spirit, all these different subjects that he is dealing with. So I think the easiest way to, to, to sort of divide up the text is to see that in verses 5 and 6, Solomon is giving us Proverbs concerning receiving a rebuke. In verses 7 to 10, and this is as generally stated as I possibly could, but also as specifically stated as I possibly could, he's giving us Proverbs that address issues of the heart. 
There's a bunch of different, I mean, you can put hundreds of things under there, right? Proverbs that deal with the issues of the heart. So that is just generically speaking how we're going to divide it up. So we'll look first at verses 5 and 6. And these are Proverbs that deal with how to handle a rebuke. Look at verse 5. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen, for one to listen to the song of fools. That is so counterintuitive, isn't it? Better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man. How many of you like to sit down and be rebuked? Anybody? It's not something that we naturally desire. It's not something that we naturally long for. We don't like to sit down and be corrected, to be reproved, and to be rebuked. In fact, this is so. This seems so counterintuitive that, that, that that's part of what strikes us as odd about the whole passage. It, it is better to listen to the rebuke of one wise man than to listen to all the songs that the fools sing. And yet we would rather listen to the songs of fools. And this approach to, to reproving and rebuking and being willing to receive it is something you see all the way through the book of Proverbs. I'll give you some other passages. Proverbs 12, verse 1, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Now, I know some of you don't like your kids to use the term stupid, but there it is in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. He who hates reproof is stupid. It's foolish. It's ignorant. You want knowledge? Then love discipline. Love the smack across the rear end. Love the smack across the face. Love the assault to your pride. Love the assault to your knowledge, whatever it is. Desire after those things and you will have knowledge. Hate those things and you're stupid. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1, A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And it is the foolish scoffer son that turns his ear away from reproof. A wise son will listen to the reproof of his father. Pay attention, Shepley. Proverbs 15, verse 31, <laughs> He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Proverbs 17, verse 10, A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Find somebody who has understanding, and one rebuke will do him more good than slapping a fool a hundred times. It goes deeper because a wise man who loves understanding will receive one reproof. And even though you might want to slap a foolish person a hundred times, it will go deeper into a wise person to just hear that one word of rebuke. Because he loves it. Proverbs 25, verse 12, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. There's something precious about it. There's something beautiful about rebuke to a wise and listening ear. Now that is how the Proverbs describe our hunger and our desire for receiving reproof. But there is something in our pride, and it is pride, that hates reproof. Because we don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be told that what we're doing is wrong or that it is unwise or that it is foolish or that there is a better path. There's something in our pride that resists that. And, and when we resist reproof, it is pride. That's what it is. It's arrogance and pride. And so a wise and humble person will gladly receive the reproof of a wise man and desire that over the songs of fools or the laughter of fools that's described in verses 5 and 6. Now, it is, the, it is reproof of a wise man that we should hunger after, not the reproof of a fool. Not all reproof is the same. There are foolish people who would love to reprove you. But fools, Scripture says, they assault knowledge, they hate the truth, they don't have light, they are in their own sense arrogant and prideful and, and impenitent and hard-hearted. The, the reproof that is offered by a fool is as useless as the wind. It does nothing. But the reproof offered by a wise individual, that is something that is precious. I've been on the receiving, everybody here has been on the receiving end of reproofs that have been offered by a wise individual. And we are better for it when we sit down and we embrace it and we accept it and we love it. And we ought to do that. But when a fool opens his mouth, Scripture says you just ignore it because all he spews forth is folly. But a wise individual 
will do good for your soul. So you listen to it. And it's better than the songs of fools. What is Solomon talking about by the songs of fools in the second half of verse 5? Uh, it is better to listen to the rebuke of the wise men than to listen to the song of fools. He's talking about these, describing the festivities and the, the feasting and the partying and the pleasure that is described up in verses 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. And in verse 4, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of the fools is in the house of pleasure. He is describing there the empty, futile, banal, mindless, useless, worthless entertainments that the world offers to distract us from things that are edifying and good for our soul. And the world offers plenty of these things. We would rather sit down and, and laugh for 30 minutes at a sitcom than to sit down and learn for 30 minutes at the feet of a sage. Our natural inclination is that we, we prefer laughter, we prefer entertainment, we prefer the vain and empty and useless things that the world and society distracts us with, that keeps us from loving wisdom. We prefer that, but it is better to learn from a sage. We would rather be entertained than educated, and that is to our shame. But we ought, the wise man would rather be educated than entertained. And so the, the, the songs of fools, think of all of the, the superficial, banal and empty music that is churned out that means absolutely nothing, that we fill our heads with that is empty and it, it is distracting to us and amusing and entertaining and all of that, that is just the, the, the fluff of fools. It is better to receive a rebuke than to be entertained by all of that nonsense. Why is that? Verse 6, for the crackling of the thorn bush, for as the crackling of the thorn bush under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool, and this too is vanity. What is the laughter of a fool? It is likened to the song of the fool at the end of verse 5. The laughter of the fool and the song of the fool is this empty, distracting, uh, cackling nonsense that just distracts us and it fills the, fills the air with nonsense. That is what Solomon is describing. And he likens this to the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot. Now, what is that? What is the crackling of thorn bushes under the pot? Now, before I describe it, there is something of a wordplay going on here in the Hebrew that doesn't quite come across in English translation. We saw one of these last week in the first four verses. There's another wordplay here, and it is, it is two words that are put side by side, which are very similar. He, Solomon did this in, in verses 1 to 4. We saw one of those Proverbs last week. He's doing it again here. He's using two words that are very similar, spelled similarly, sound similar to each other, and he's putting them side by side to make the proverb sort of ring in our ear. The word that is translated thorns is the Hebrew word sarim. S-I-R-I-M. The word that is translated pot is a Hebrew word, S-I-R, sir. Sir and sirim. You see how those are kind of spelled similarly and they sound similarly? So what Solomon is doing, he said, putting it in such a way that it would ring in our ears. There's a, an English translation of this that kind of captures the wordplay. Uh, one commentator translated it this way, as nettles under a kettle, so is the laughter of a fool. As nettles under a kettle. Now the way that sounds to your English ear, it's kind of catchy and cute and, and neat, that's the way that this would have sounded to a Hebrew ear. What is, it that, what is it that is the same between thorns put under a fire, on a fire, and the laughter of a fool? What is the similarity that Solomon is, is drawing there? Well, in those days, if you wanted to heat something up, you put it, of course, over top of a fire, and you would put wood underneath of it. But if you put thorns onto a fire, what happens? There's all kinds of crackling and noise, right? It's a, lo it's a loud and obnoxious noise, and that goes on for a period of time. It's very short. And then there's a burst of flame and light as the flames get really big for a period of time. But is there really any heat that is produced? No, very little. So a lot of noise, a lot of light, big flash of flames, but no real lasting heat. 
And if you were trying to boil a pot of soup over top of a fire and you threw a bunch of thorns under there, you might be impressed by the sound for a period of time and you see the bright flashes and the big flames and, the, and, and all of the noise and activity and you think to yourself, wow, this is, is going to heat that right up and then very quickly die down and you would put your finger into the soup. Not that I recommend that unless you wash your hands first. But you put your finger into the soup and you would find out that not enough heat had been produced to even warm a layer of soup. It is passing, it is useless, it is empty, it means nothing, it is completely inconsequential and unsubstantial, it's worthless. So after you listen to the, the crackling, cackling laugh of a fool, hour after hour, it distracts us from the life that we live, it distracts us from all things that edify and educate us, but at the end of it, are you any better for doing it? We're really not, are we? So as the crackling of nettles under a kettle... So is the laughter of a fool. Quick, flashy, lots of annoying sound. Passes quickly, means absolutely nothing. Michael Eaton in his commentary in Ecclesiastes, not to be confused with Michael Keaton as somebody entirely different, Michael Eaton writes this, The fool's laughter is a sudden flame, a fine display of sparks accompanied by plenty of noise, but soon spent and easily put out. That's the laughter of a fool. Pursue and cherish, rather, the wisdom that is offered in a rebuke from a wise individual. Those are the people that we should be pursuing. Those are the things that we should be pursuing. Now, I'll give you an example of what I consider to be the nettles under kettles in our modern day. This is just my own pet peeve, so I'm just bearing my soul to you. Um, show you my heart. Sometimes I'm flipping through channels on my television set. I do this because I'm a guy. That's what we do. We flip through channels. So I'll be flipping through channels on my television set, and I'll come across some mindless, stupid sitcom where they put in that laugh track every 20 seconds. You got that? And, and I'll, I'll listen to it. I think, but that wasn't funny. <laughs> Goes the cackling of the fools and the recorded laughter. And then they'll say something else 20 seconds later. And I think that wasn't funny either. Yeah, 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 yeah. Goes the <laughs> cackling of the laughter. <laughs> Goes the cackling of the laughter. And, and they do this every 20 seconds, whether what is said or done is funny or not. Listen, if you have to cue me when to laugh, it's not funny. If you have to pretend that this is funny, it's not funny. It's just the most annoying thing I think I've ever seen in my life. It dry, sometimes I watch it for a couple of minutes just to get angry. And, go, and then I'll go watch fighting or something like that to, as, a, as a venting of my frustration. It truly is one of my pet peeves. Now, I'm not, I'm not disparaging all laughter because it, those of you who know me know that I, I think I have a fair sense of humor. I enjoy humor. I enjoy being humored. I like to laugh. But there is a difference between the God-given gift of laughter which is the expression of a joy-filled soul and gladness of heart and delight in the good gifts of God that is the result of and the product of friends and family getting together and enjoying fellowship and enjoying one another and the familiarity of, of, a, of a fine friendship. There is that laughter and then there is the endless, endless never-ending cackling of fools. There's that. Those are two entirely different things. You know what distracts us from the good gifts of God? The empty laughter. You know what allows us to delight in the good gifts of God? Delighting in those things with a joy-filled heart. Solomon is not assaulting all laughter, all humor. That's not what he's doing. But there, there, there is a laughter. There is a fake joy, a superficial pleasure that we can pursue to our own detriment in exchange of the wisdom that we should be pursuing that distracts us from learning from life. And this follows on the heels of verses 1 to 4 where Solomon says it's better to go to a funeral than a festival. Why? Because at a funeral you learn something. 
Right? In a similar way, don't distract yourself from the realities of a funeral by going to the house of pleasure in the same way. Don't restrict, distract yourselves from the value of a rebuke by seeking after things that will distract you from true wisdom. So those are the Proverbs concerning uh, handling a rebuke and receiving a rebuke. Now let's look at the Proverbs concerning the issues of the heart. Verse 7, for oppression makes a wise man mad and a bribe corrupts the heart. Now this is where Solomon gives us a, sort of a measured perspective on wisdom. Again, he is commending wisdom to us. He is giving us wisdom in the form of better than Proverbs and advantageous courses of action. But here he's going to be honest with us. Honest with us. There is a detriment to wisdom. Wisdom is not foolproof, as it were, if you pardon the pun. Wisdom is not foolproof. Even a wise man under certain circumstances and certain situations can act foolishly. And Solomon has been honest about wisdom, and he has wrestled with the real value of wisdom all the way through Ecclesiastes. In chapter 1, Solomon said that uh, those who have much wisdom also experience much pain and grief. Why is that from Solomon's perspective? Because though he had the wisdom and he didn't live in accordance with the wisdom, he experienced the emotional pain that came with that. You don't live according to your wisdom, you're going to suffer for it. And you're going to realize that, the, that your suffering is all the result of your own foolishness. In chapter 2, Solomon weighed whether or not there was any value in wisdom, seeing as both the wise man and the fool alike die. And not only do they die, but they are quickly forgotten, and none of the things that they do are remembered. And so Solomon says, what then is the advantage of wisdom? But then he has to come back to the advantage of wisdom and say, the advantage of wisdom is light, light, light over darkness. It is better and easier to walk in the light than it is to walk in the darkness. And so there is an advantage to wisdom, but we ought not to think, and this is the, the warning of verse 7, we ought not to think that wisdom itself is a surefire guarantee of all things good. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. A wise man may be turned mad, and by that he doesn't mean angry. He's describing a state of insanity or acting like a fool. A wise man can be turned into a fool by what? By oppression. One of the possible and uh, translations of that word oppression is extortion. It can be translated oppression, which it is in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, where Solomon observes the oppression that the, that the powerful, uh, uh, how, how the powerful oppress the poor and those who are weak. It can also be translated extortion. It can mean oppressing somebody financially by extorting something from them. And given the second half of this verse, extortion is probably the best translation. Verse 7, oppression or extortion makes a wise man mad and a bribe corrupts the heart. The second half is explaining the first half. There are things that can corrupt the heart of even a wise person. An otherwise good man with a good heart can be corrupted in certain situations and under certain circumstances. So should you pursue wisdom? Absolutely. Is there value in wisdom? Yes. It is, to be, is it to be preferred than anything else? Yeah. Search for it, mine for it, pursue it with all that you have, but don't ever think that it is fail-safe, that it is foolproof, that it is perfect, and that it in itself is the path to all blessings and all goodness and that nothing bad will ever happen. In a very measured way, we have to recognize that a heart can be corrupted. In bad circumstances and situations, just because you have wisdom doesn't mean your heart is free from the impurities that plague all the rest of us. So that's sort of the measured response to that, uh, desiring or pursuing wisdom. Now look at verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. What does he mean by the end of a matter is better than the beginning? The end means the end product. It's describing not just when something comes to a conclusion, but what comes out of something, the, the thing that is produced at the end of it. That which comes out at the end of something is better than that which is there at the beginning. And this is basically Solomon's way of saying that sometimes we are in situations where we are looking at what is about to happen or the environment in which we're in, and we think, what can, what can come out of this? What good can come out of this? Why do I endure this? And this is a small beginning. It's a small thing. As Solomon says, the end of it, by being patient, you see what comes out as the fruit of that. 
you, you never know in the moment what is going to happen, but if a man who is patient, who is patient of spirit, that and the, the, what connects the first half of the proverb with the second half of the proverb is this idea of patience. You wait until the end and you endure until the end. Then you will see the fruit of what comes out of that, which is the result of a patient spirit as opposed to a haughty spirit. And I'll give you some biblical examples of this. Who would have thought that Abraham would have been the father of nations? Abraham would have never thought that. You would have looked at Abraham in Abraham's day and said, what can possibly come of this? Some traveling, wandering Bedouin out in the middle of the desert with no children, 70 years old. What could come of this? And yet Abraham became the father of nations. And his descendants are more than the sands of the sea. Well, who would have thought that 12 men following around a Galilean carpenter 2,000 years ago would have amounted to anything? Who would have thought that, that 120 people in an upper room 50 days after the resurrection of Christ would have become a worldwide movement in 30 years? Who would have thought that? We don't despise the small beginnings. This is true in a lot of areas of life. Are you, sitting in a, are you at a point where you're suffering affliction and trials and temptations and tribulations right now? You may look at that and say, what good can come out of that? Look, the end of a matter, what is produced in that is better than what you see right now. We can never judge what is going to be by where we're at right now, what we're seeing right now. There's another way in which this is true, by the way. Uh, sort of there's, there's two senses that you could take this proverb. The second way you could take it is to, to say that what comes... What, what results after many years of patience is better than what was there at the beginning. I'll give you an illustration of this. A marriage is great, and a wedding ceremony is great. And there's all the pomp and the circumstance and the ceremony and the dressing up and the, you know, the happiness and the joy and the celebration and the food and all the good things that accompany that. And It's a day of great expectation, and we're all sort of on an emotional high on the day of a wedding. You know what's better than that? Seeing that same couple who have been together for 50 years at the end of it, and they have sinned against each other, and they have forgiven each other, and their love is deeper and more profound than it ever was on the wedding day. The end of that thing is better than it was at the beginning. Conversion is the same way. We're excited by conversion. They get baptized. We're excited by that. We see the faith and the zeal. All of that is great. We are delighted to see God save a soul, and there is, that is a good thing. But you know what's even better? Seeing that person after 60 years of walking with the Lord and he has endured trials and tribulations and temptation and persecution and affliction. And he has grown through it all. And God, through all of that, has preserved him. The end of that is better than it was at the beginning. But that requires a patience of spirit, which here in this proverb is contrasted with the haughtiness of spirit. Notice that patience and pride are contrasted. My impatience is my pride. And there's enough sting in that rebuke to go around for all of us, I think. My impatience with thing is a result of my pride. It is in my pride that I am impatient. I get impatient with God. I get impatient with others because I'm thinking more highly of myself or my way of doing things than God's way of doing things. But if you are going to see something through to the end and see the fruit that comes out of it, it requires a patience and a humility of spirit. And the more we grow in humility, the more we grow in patience. It's just the reality of it. The more prideful we are, the less patient we are. Now look at verse eight, verse 9. Sorry. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. It's easy to understand how a person who is haughty in spirit becomes angry, so there might be a connection here between this proverb and the previous one. Don't be anxious in your spirit. Don't be quick to become angry. This is not to suggest that a wise person or a righteous person will never become angry, but it is to say that anger does not characterize the life and the demeanor of righteous and wise individuals. Show me somebody who is angry, I will show you somebody who is not wise. Show me somebody who is wise, and I will show you somebody who is not quick to anger. And they will take a lot before they get angry. So don't be quick to be angry, because that is not what characterizes a wise individual. Now, Matthew Henry said this, 
For though anger may come into the bosom of a wise man and pass through it as a wayfaring man, in other words, it comes into a heart, into the heart of a wise person but quickly passes out of it, he says, it rests only in the bosom of fools. Anger. Anger rests only in the bosom of fools. There it resides. There it remains. There it has the innermost and uppermost place. There it is hugged as that which is dear and laid in the bosom and not easily parted with. Close quote. That's how a fool loves his anger. And though a fool's anger threatens to destroy him and ruins everything it touches and ruins all of his relationships and makes him not trust anybody and makes him bitter with everybody so that he can't enjoy any of the good gifts that God's given to him, the foolish man clutches to his anger and loves it. He doesn't want to give it up. He wants to remain bitter. He wants to remain offended. He wants to remain irritated at everything. He wants to constantly harbor that in his heart because he clutches it and he loves it. That is the foolish man. Do not be quick to be angry for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Verse 9. Verse 10. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. This is my favorite one of all the Proverbs. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? Have you ever met somebody who was always talking about the good old days? Always the good old days. Man, today's the dangerous day. Today is the... Today is the horrible day. Today is the bad day. It was always the previous days. We're always so much better than today is. It's like the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt. If we could only go back to having the leeks and the onions in Egypt. And whenever I read that, I want to shout into the pages of Scripture, you were slaves. Do you forget the slavery? You were making bricks in Pharaoh's house. He was whipping you and abusing you and beating you. You were almost starving to death. Yeah, you were eating leeks and melons and onions and all the good stuff, but you were slaves. And so it is with us. We're always pining after and longing for the good old days. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. Okay? And you knew where you were then. Girls were girls. Men were men. Mr. We could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. Had no need for a welfare state. Everybody pulled his weight. G.R. Sal ran great. Say it with me. Those were the days. Right? That's what we think, isn't it? Yes, it is true that there was a time when $20 would buy you a brand new suit. And a nickel would buy you a gallon of gasoline. And you could get a hamburger and a milkshake and fries for 25 cents and maybe even a song on the jukebox thrown in. There's a time when that was true. And when that was true, Hitler was gassing 6 million Jews. Good times, weren't they? Those were good times. There was a time when you lived on a farm out five miles away from your nearest neighbor without electricity, and everybody sat around in the evening mending their own clothes after working 14 hours in the field, just to barely make ends meet and, and husbanding all of the animals and caring for all the affairs on the farm. And you were isolated from everybody. It might be once a week that you saw anybody at church and, and everybody got to sit around the lamp that burned the whale blubber and inhale all of the fumes and the soot. And you went to bed when it was dark. Those were good days, weren't they? Those were good days. Back in the days when you'd probably lose half of your teeth by the time you were 35. And when they took out your teeth, they did it with a hammer and a chisel. Good days. Anesthesia meant biting down on a stick. Those were good days, right? Back when infant mortality in some parts of our country was almost at 100%. Back when we cooked our meals over cow dung, 
back before you could refrigerate anything, back before deodorant and mouthwash and running water and ibuprofen. It was a paradise, wasn't it, back then? It was awesome. Boy, we need those good old days again. It's not from wisdom that you say this. You know why we think the old days were better than today? It's because we have poor memories and good imagination. That's what it is. Poor memories and good imagination. And so we pine after the days that have gone by because in our mind, there's a nostalgia associated with them and we wish we could go back to that. It is not from wisdom that you say this, Solomon says in verse 10. That's not wisdom. If it's not wisdom, what is it? It's foolishness. Now, you know me well, you know I have a certain affinity for the 1980s. Okay, I, I grew up in the 80s, so part of my, my love for that period of time and the culture of that time and the events that happened is because it's connected to my childhood. And so that was back in a, in a period of time before I had any bills to pay. It was all carefree. It was all good. And part of my nostalgia for the 1980s is the fact that I remember things that happened there, and I probably remember them being much better than they actually were. And there are a whole bunch of horrible things that happened in the 1980s that I tend to forget, and that I, I want to forget, and that I don't remember. Were the 80s a good decade? They were great. Look, girls were girls and men were men. <laughs> we could use a man like Ronald Reagan again. It was a great decade. But there are things about the 80s that were horrible. Would I, if I could trade today for the 1980s, would I? Not for one instant. Not for one moment would I do that. Never. Never, never, never. I would never go back to my Atari 2600. I would never go back to typing on a Commodore 64. Back in a day when your, your telephone was connected to the wall, you could never walk more than 12 feet away from where your telephone went into the wall. Those were good days, right? Those were good days. Back when high-definition television meant getting the antenna pointed in just the right direction so as to eliminate most of the snow on the one good channel that you had and hoped that that was the channel that they would broadcast the Super Bowl on. Good days when you had to reach behind the television set to keep the picture from flipping. You did that when you turned on the TV, and then you would get out and sit around for a while, watch TV, and after 10 minutes and the TV warmed up, you'd have to go reset the horizontal flipper thing again. And, and hold on to that. I was the kid that sat behind the TV for most of the evening doing, doing this for my parents while I listened to the A-team. Those weren't good days. I wouldn't go back to that for anything. I don't want to carry all my entire music collection around on a Sony Walkman attached to my hip, this massive thing that looked like it was a dialysis machine. There's nothing preferable about that. But does that mean that everything about today is horrible? Does it mean that everything about today is good? No. Every age has its own unique challenges. And every age has its own unique blessings. Every age has us. That's why every age is filled with problems. Because we were us 50 years ago. We were us 100 years ago. We were us 1,000 years ago. And you might object and say, but Jim, things are different now than they ever were. I mean, we have gender confusion in our age. Gender confusion is nothing new. Gender confusion was in the first century church. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 addressing that very issue. Women who wanted to act like men, men who were acting like women. And the roles were confused. Back then they didn't understand that girls were girls and men were men. Those weren't the good old days. And what about abortion, you say? We have a, we have a holocaust going on. Yeah, we do. You can go back 3,500 years and you know what you will find in the land of Canaan? You had pagan worshiping, idolatrous, demonic religions that were offering their children in the fire to the false god of Moloch. Solomon has told us there is nothing new under the sun. You say, but Islamic terrorism is a threat. Read a history book. 
They've been on a killing spree for 1,200 years. Today is nothing new. Today is the same thing it has always been. Every unique age has its own unique challenges. Every unique age has its own unique blessings. It is true, but we cannot say that the former days were better than these. In fact, we could, we could do this dance forever. Do you realize that? We could start off today and say, if we could just go back a few years, you go back a few years, and guess what you would be saying? If I could just go back a few years when it was good, go back a few years, guess what you'd be saying? If we could just go back to the Revolutionary War, that was a great time. If we could just go back to the, the, the Reformation, that was a great time. If we could just go back to the early church, that was a great time. If we could just go back to the time of Jesus, that was a great time. If we could just go back to the days of Solomon, those were great. Those were the days. And you know what you'll find in the days of Solomon? People saying in the words of verse 10, why is it that the former days were better than these? You can do that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We had the profanation of marriage. We have had sexual perversion. We have had immorality and idolatry and murder and horrible things, dangerous times, ever since Cain killed Abel, ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit. This has existed in every continent at every time in human history forever. It is the way that it is. There is nothing new under the sun. The stage remains the same, and all of the actors, us, we change. But the stage is the same. Do not say, why is it that the former days are better than these? It's not from wisdom that you ask for this. Today is the best day. And it's getting better. Tomorrow will be better. And every day after this will be better than days before. We, we need to get over our sloppy nostalgia with the past, where we think that, we think that it, what is ideal is what we saw on Little House on the Prairie. And that life back then was just little girls tumbling down the daisy-filled hillside in their dress, laughing as Pa sat up on the covered, the covered wagon and, and laughed his heart out. Right? What you didn't see was Pa having a tooth removed. That's what you didn't see. <laughs> so don't say of the former days, why is it that they were better than this? Here's what wisdom says. Wisdom says that God has put us at this time in this place for a reason. And He is sovereign over it. And He has a purpose in it. And we must embrace the blessings and we must face the challenges. And we cannot do that if we are fearful of the future or if we are romanticizing the past. We can't do that. Wisdom says, I will live for today and I will fear God and I will keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Let's pray. Father, you are good and gracious and kind to put us in history at this time. I pray that you would give us grace to embrace that challenge and to live a wise and judicious life, that we may glorify you in it, that we may see you honored and glorified as you work through your people to accomplish your great purposes for the nations and for us. Pray that you give us grace to trust you. Pray that you would give us grace to be patient in our spirit, that we may, that we may present to you hearts of wisdom, and we may wait to see what it is that you are doing in our lives and through your church, both now and forever. We pray that you would do this work through your people and be glorified in it. We ask that the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Christ may go with each and every one of us, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.